Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Writer's Advice Podcast. I am here with another fabulous, fabulous interview with you guys, um, not with you guys, for you guys today, um, with a fabulous author that you are about to meet. But firstly, I want to thank our sponsor um, for making this all possible, Booksprout. So Booksprout is my go-to platform when it comes to building um, your early reader list, so your ARC list, and getting your advanced reader reviews, which are so incredibly important when it comes to, literally when it comes to putting your book out there, people buy, buy, people do judge a book by its cover. So we initially get um, turned on by the cover and then we read a little bit of about the blurb and you know what we're emotionally invested yep this story sounds right up my alley and then we need to back it up by logic and that is where having reviews on your Amazon page or any or your Goodreads page backs up that logic for buying your book so getting your advanced reader copies are very very important um, make sure that you yeah check out Booksprout because they are my go-to service for using them and if you're a writer listening into this, if you are working on a project right now or you want to get started on your first book, then I highly recommend going to Amazon or you can go to my website, oliviahillier.com and checking out the Writer's Journal. This is your new best friend, your new favorite little sidekick that you want to take everywhere with you to have the most seamless process when it comes to writing your story and getting all your ideas out onto paper before you hit the keyboard but not only just getting them out onto paper but having them all in one place the writer's journal literally helps you go through your protagonist getting to know them like there's no tomorrow as well as um your supporting characters and then it asks you questions about how to really get the best out of these people and you're going to know them more deeper than anyone else, which really creates 3D characters. It also helps you create your world, whether that is a real world, a fantasy world, it is going to help you set it up so you feel like you are completely immersed and in that place so you are ready to write and then putting it all together into your scenes and into your plot, your chapter outline. And most importantly, it helps you put together a structure for how you are going to write, where you are going to um, dedicate the time and commit so it is realistic and able to fit into your lifestyle, but also keep you accountable as well. And all of that is found in the writer's I was going to say the writer's advice journal. It's not the writer's advice journal, but it is for listeners of this podcast. It is the writer's journal by Olivia Hillier, crafting the story that you were born to create. Okay. That is all for me. That is all for me. Um, otherwise, if you're looking for a new read and you love uh, young adult sci-fi fantasy, my new series, The Dark Side Chronicles, are out. It is a twisted series. It is a twisted sci-fi fantasy, dark romance um, that explores all your favourite tropes of a completely fantasy world. We've got a whole new race in there that's kind of like vampires, but something a little bit different. Enemies to lovers. You've got a wild, the wildest love triangle that I have ever come across that I'm obsessed with it and I love these stories so much so 
um, book one is Black Blood. You can check that out on Amazon, on my website, and see what everyone else is saying on Goodreads as well. Okay, but, and that's enough about me, and that's enough about what I've got going on. Let's dive into this week's episode of The Writer's Advice and our interview with this incredible author. Writer's Advice is a point of connection, a dose of inspiration, and an insight into the creative process of the babes behind the books. I'm your host, Olivia Hillier. Each week, I'll be interviewing authors from around the globe on their creative process and how they got to where they are today and what it's really like inside the industry of publishing. So listen in, take notes, and I hope you walk away inspired, ready to take on the next level of your writing wherever you are in your journey. Welcome back, everyone. I am very excited because today on the podcast, I have best-selling Australian author, Sophie Green. And firstly, thank you so much for joining us, Sophie. Thank you so much for inviting me, Olivia. Now, you are hot on the launch of your brand new book, Weekends with the Sunshine Gardening Society, which I have right here. I devoured this, I have to say. It was like the best escapism. It was like cozy. And I was just so drawn into all of these characters. I'm like, constantly in Noosa and I felt like I, I just wanted to be there back then <laughs> yeah. I was like really really in it so I, I I absolutely loved it and I want to dive into so much of this book but before we go there I want to go all the way back to the start and I want to know how did it all start for you like how did when did when was the moment where you're like oh yeah I want to I want to pursue this writing thing uh, look, I'd been writing about Australian country music for a while before I came to that point. So I have a website called Sunburnt Country Music, which is a hobby. Uh, and I have been writing reviews and doing interviews with country music artists. This started actually many years ago when I lived in Canada and I volunteered for a street press magazine. And that's when I first started interviewing musicians and writing reviews and covering gigs and things. So I, I started this as a hobby. It, that, that was a regular writing practice. It remains a regular writing practice. I also learned a huge amount from the country music artists I was interviewing about storytelling to an audience because country music is our storytelling in song, basically. And yeah. I've been to Tamworth so many times, Tamworth Country Music Festival, and seen all these people who come to this festival for Australian stories because it remains the largest Australian storytelling festival of any kind for just Australian artists only yeah. so um so that was always interesting to me covering that side of things and obviously you know, I work in publishing by day I used to work at the seven network and covered home and away so I've had this exposure to a lot of different types of storytelling and I used to never think I would write fiction and uh then one day I just thought oh, maybe I have an idea <laughs> and the idea was the inaugural meeting of the Fairvale Ladies Book Club, as it turned out. And that just came from being in a bus, going from Catherine to Darwin, looking at the landscape, starting to think about various things, noting the colours. And I think just letting myself dream about something rather than trying to censor it. Or, and actually, that was, I've had some ideas before that and I always thought, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. I could never do this. But it was getting out of my own way, which is a piece of advice I often give when people say, oh, what's your best writing advice? And one of the two pieces I usually give is get out of your own way. And the other one is get over yourself. <laughs> and <laughs> get over yourself is also what I had to do was basically, you, you're no worse and no better than anyone else at this. Give it a try. So, yeah. So that's, that's what, that's, that's how it all started. I absolutely. 
I love that because for you, was it just kind of like, no, like I write about real stuff. Like I write, you know what I mean? Like, like writing about, you know, you're covering things that are actually happening and it's like, actually, could I create a fictional world? Yeah, I think also um, working in publishing nonfiction's long been my interest and I read a lot of nonfiction. So yes, the real stuff extended even to that. I've always read a lot of fiction and, and as I said, love Home and Away, still watch Home and Away um, and love a lot of fictional TV series, but really just thought I had no stories to to write about and nothing to come to me. Nothing was coming to me except as I realised once you open the channel, things will start to come in. So it is just that process of, of giving yourself permission, opening up the channel to whatever it is it's a it is a woo-woo process people often ask about where I get my characters from whatever I said I don't know like they just turn up I've learned to not get in their way I listen to them when they tell me things when I'm writing the manuscripts I only plan a certain amount because I know things will change because the characters will do things to me now and I'll just think oh well I wasn't planning that and if I was too rigid about the plan then I wouldn't be letting the story go where it should and it would and on the page it would read very differently than if I just let the characters tell me their stories and so yeah it's it, as you would know because you've written many novels we create them but we yeah. kind of don't you yeah. know like, I don't know how it happens <laughs> yeah, I, this is what I find it also really interesting about having these conversations and, and the interviewing other authors as well even like going to um uh I've just had a mental blank, like a like a book festival or a, or a writing festival, and you know you see people being interviewed and they're like really like drumming in questions to find an answer, but really there isn't one. Like you can't always say where things come from. Like it's it's completely different from everyone, and there is no one logical way to any of this. Like it's it's a it's a wild journey, absolutely. No, and there's yeah, there's some debate about whether you can teach creative writing and you can certainly teach structures of things and, and habits and you can teach how to edit. But as for where ideas come from, you certainly can't teach that, uh, but they are everywhere. I do say to people, you can walk down the street and I was asked this on the weekend, I did an event and people were like, oh, where do you get ideas from? I said, well, I can look out right now and go to the playground that's across the road from here and I I will come up with a story. I will see someone in that playground and I'll start to think, Oh, okay. And then I could come up with a storyline about them. But that's just, again, back to the giving permission thing. I give myself permission to do it. And I don't I don't immediately think, oh, no, that's silly. I just think, oh, well, it might be interesting. So let's see where it goes. And so it's part of seeing the world as an opportunity for creativity and play and fun. And these are, these are things that as adults we often train ourselves out of because we think, I'm a big serious adult now and I have adult responsibilities. You can have all of that, but play and fun lead to creative projects and we need that too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I absolutely love how you said that. It's like giving the permission because that really is probably the only, I've, no, I don't think anyone said it specifically like that in the in this podcast, but it really is the only little thing that's stopping someone from going to the playground and, and not being able to have that thought. It's like, just, just let, yeah. it, let it come through. You can, you know, we all have the power of imagination. I love it. Absolutely. Every child is seeped in their imagination. They live in their imagination. You look at kids who, who will get these complicated toys given to them and they're more interested in a plastic water bottle because that's more opportunity for their imagination. And, you know, you hear parents saying, oh, gave him this wonderful toy and he just wanted to play with the wrapping paper Yeah, because it helps stimulate the imagination. So we we are all those creatures. We were those creatures once. Yes, 
the process of growing up can do a lot of damage and can make you think all sorts of things about yourself, not trust yourself, not think you're worth anything. I understand all of that and have been through all of that. But at a certain point, it's like, well, I'm in this world. There's an opportunity here to do something interesting and playful and fun. And uh, yeah, and and my yoga existence, which has been going on for a long time now, influences this. I have a yoga teacher who teaches dance basically and and could go into a whole history of of how we stopped dancing as a cause some cultures stopped dancing in the middle ages um for freeform dancing but this has been related to lack of creativity in day-to-day life um, and all sorts of other things and she leads these freeform dance practices and I think it's probably from her actually that I most learned in the past few years to have to give myself that permission to just be free yeah. Uh, because she certainly is. I've been in in teaching sessions with her where she's like, right, everyone up and dance. And you feel that, it's back to the self-centering thing, you can feel that self-centering of, oh I, oh, I can't dance in front of these people. It's like, no, everyone can dance. Just do it. Uh-huh. <laughs> Stop worrying about what everyone else is thinking. It doesn't matter. Like at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. matter. And it's like the most freeing feeling when when something like that goes. And I'm sure you've had moments when you're writing something to be like, oh, maybe like when you when you first start, when you first gave yourself permission of if you read something back and it's like, oh, can I say that? Or it's like you. I feel like you're constantly strengthening that part of yourself as well. Yeah, it's yeah. So it does always get better with practice. Mm-hmm. Same as also when you open up that channel for ideas, and that's just a constant practice of keeping it open. Because I do think we default to keeping it to to closing it off. Yeah, um, look, it's it's the easier path to not have that in a lot of ways. It is more work when you have ideas coming in and you're constantly trying to write novels and keep track of what's going on. But uh, it's more fulfilling. Yeah. Me. Yeah. Keep practicing to keep the channel open and to, to learn more, grow more. Yeah, hopefully yeah. be better. And what was that process like for you? And you're like, you know what? I'm just gonna give this moment permission and get started and dive into something. Like you said before, that you have a vague plan. Do you have that at the start, or do you just see a character come through you and kind of like start that way? What I guess it might be different for every novel, but what's kind of your process like from then to now? Uh, I plan more now than I ever used to. So each novel's had more planning than the one before. Yeah. And I think I've learnt from the previous process. So for Fairvale, for example, that was that was what would some might call a pantsing novel. And uh, that was the one that needed the most rewriting. So I certainly learnt at that point that I needed to do more planning. So when I'm starting the process of writing, I know what the device is going to be. So in this case, gardening. I think, okay, gardening, where do I want to set it? I was very clear about it being the Sunshine Coast for this one. What year is it? And I do think about that carefully. So in this case, it was I wanted it to be close to Expo 88 because that was a time of big change in Queensland. There was a lot happening in Queensland in the 80s that was revolutionary in some ways. And so that particular decade is important in Queensland history. So I thought, okay, 87. And then I just sit quietly and say, all right, who is around on the Sunshine Coast in 1987 who would like their stories told? Oh, my God, I love that. <laughs> and then when they come through, I'm like, all right, okay, I, I can see you, I can hear you. What is your name? And I will consciously name them because I want the names to make sense for the time. So, uh, you know, Taylor Swift is 33, as we all know, because we know what year she was born in. 
and Taylor was therefore a name that was popular 30 odd years ago and is probably very popular now for young children because of her yeah. there are other tales like Taylor Lautner from Twilight series whom she dated same generation so Taylor was clearly a popular name around 30 years ago but if I had a novel set 30 years ago with an adult called Taylor in it that can't work that yeah. name was not popular for adults at that time as it wouldn't have been popular for babies several years before. So I I like to have names that are appropriate. I will do research on what popular names are for the, the, the years my characters were born. And then I start to write character profiles. So the technique I use, I take from a book called The Thorn Necklace by Francesca Leah Block, who's an American author of mainly young adult fiction, magical realist um, young adult fiction, and the Thorn Necklace is a memoir, and she has something in it called the 12 Questions Framework, which is basically to get to know your character. And it's written on the basis, I think, that you've just got one main character because there's all sorts of stuff in there about setting and, and themes and whatnot. So when I'm doing it across several characters, I just only do that once. But the the questions that are particular to the character really help me get to know characters I've already decided what year they're born I know a, a few details I'll make little notes as they come to me but that process really helps me get to know them then I'll do another document which is about the major the five major plot points essentially for them emotionally not what actually happens but what what is their emotional arc going to be like what's the crisis point mm. uh, and that that tends to help me if I'm stuck in the middle of writing and I think all right what did I decide about that person yeah. What did they tell me um, when I was planning? So I do a bit of that. Sometimes I'll do as a document where I'm actually going through the months uh, that I've put it in and and assigning plots plot points to those months. Sometimes that's a something I do halfway through or if I'm in stuck. But then the main document I use is actually a color-coded grid in Word and each character gets a color. Uh, each main character gets a color. So I've got cha- the chapter numbers, the season, column for notes and then they're, they're color-coded and that's to help me follow the path of the changing points of view and so that document when I start when I'm about to start writing I'll do about 10 to 15 chapters ahead I never get that far before it needs to be changed so I'll start yeah. writing then I'll go okay well today I need to because I write to and from work usually on public transport so yeah. one of those sessions I'll dedicate to to reworking that grid as I call it yeah and then at a certain point I'll be writing writing and think oh I'm about to be out of planned chapters I'd better put some more time into into planning that and then you know the one I'm I'm actually handing in a manuscript tomorrow for oh, wow. next year and that's taken quite a bit of reworking more than I've done for other novels at the same stage but there were just things that were not not feeling right and I, I'm a big believer in how it feels in my body it's like if something's feeling yeah. stuck and it's just like a there's a low level hum of ick. <laughs> think, okay, I need to something's not right. Yeah, and I will I'll feel it when it is right, and I'll think, okay, great, we're off to the races now. And there was a point with this novel that I'm I'm just wrapping up that I, I thought, okay, now now I know where we are, and I know who they are, and it's fine. But up until that point, it had felt a bit stop start, not too great. Yeah, that moment feels great though. Hey, and you're like. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, it's like, I'm yeah. <laughs> I realize why I'm doing this now. Like, <laughs> yeah, for one brief moment in time, it all makes sense. <laughs> what is the 
also when the way you write stories there isn't one main character right like there's so many different characters that are just as important to the story that you need to know all of these people into in so much depth and how they they work together with each other what like why like what is it (laughs) I don't know how to word this question um you've got like a basis of these stories of everything coming together like everyone coming having a a group together of all these main characters that's kind of like what you've built and what you've known for did you always know that that was something that you were like does this come from the music background or you just kind of like it just it's just kind of coming through all these different characters and that's the way to tell their story it's look it's uh, it stemmed from Fever Ladies Book Club which I thought was going to be a one-off and really I was a book about the Northern Territory set in landscape more than anything. I didn't see it as as a, as something I may continue um, as a device. Yeah. So publishers who were like, oh, <laughs> now you've got. Although, <laughs> okay, so now I'm now I'm that girl. <laughs> oh, it's a different thing. So that's that's really how it started. It, it was not necessarily anything that that I consciously planned. Um, that's often the way it goes. Yeah. Because I'm. I always feel like I'm I'm storytelling to others. So my stories are written not just for me. Well, they're not written for me. They're they're written for others. So I think I'm putting things out in the world, and I need to serve the people who are reading them. So yeah. if I were just writing for my own interest or vanity, I might do something else. Yeah. Uh, and to say I don't love what I'm doing, I do, and I love that it connects with people. Um, but I always feel like, okay, what do what does that readership need like I'm I've got a job here to tell a story to you and again this is the country music coming through because music artists almost to a person are very conscious of delivering for an audience this is not about them sitting at home writing songs thinking I'm a great songwriter this is I've got to write a song that connects with an audience because they're going to be right there in front of me at a show or they're going to be listening to me in their car or wherever it is and 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 I want to connect with them it's not just need to they want to like I want to connect with readers so so I could there would be plenty of times when I might wish to do something and think I'm really smart and that's the great way to do it but it's not what's going to serve the audience so I don't do it Uh I love that I love that so much too because I honestly like that's the joy of sharing your creativity right it's like this is what's coming through and this it's like it's a gift like this is you know this is well put together (laughs) after a lot of a lot of work and stress (laughs) Yeah, because fundamentally, I think those of us who are putting any pieces of art out into the world are thinking, well, I, yeah, if I were just doing it for myself, I'm going to run out of puff eventually. I am doing it for other people. And primarily, yeah. our job we could see is, you know, we're just trying to make the world more enjoyable or make yeah. sense of it or put something out that helps someone's day or maybe make someone feel less alone. And or just be entertained. I'm I'm all for people if just reading my books for entertainment. If all they get out of it is is a few pleasant hours, great. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Like if you get to give that to someone, it, it, like into the entertainment was one of the best things in the world. It's what we all need. So I I love that. It's it's, it's a share of creativity and joy. Now yep. you need to go into a little bit of a synopsis of um, the Sunshine Weekends with the Sunshine Gardening Society for us. And I'm also dying to know too, because, so I'm just asking you two questions at once, but <laughs> but no, not only did you have to go into the characters of these, but you're diving into um, 1987 on the sunny coast where you would have had to really dive into, okay, cool. 
you know, not only the names, but the actual, you made the environment feel very, very real. Like I, I loved it. Like I really, I wanted to be there so badly. So <laughs> what was the process of that as well? Firstly, yeah, give us a bit of a synopsis and then, and then we'll go into that. Sure. So, so the Weekend for the Sunshine Gardening Society uh, started, I guess, with the development of the Sunshine Gardening Society. So I came up with this society um, and wrote a potted history of it and uh, came up with some characters as well. But when I sent sent the proposal to the publisher, they thought the, the Sunshine Gardening Society was real. And they're like, how did you find out about it? And I'm like, <laughs> I invented it. <laughs> the part where I said it's a fictional society <laughs> means it's invented. But I just thought I, I need to come up with the structure for these people to come together. And so I really wanted, I didn't just want to go, oh, they're gardening together. I thought, well, why are they gardening? Like, why is why does this thing exist? What was the purpose of it? So I decided it was created in the wake of World War II. And we know that in in societies where men had gone to that war or any war, but that war, um, they'd come back and life was very difficult. And there were the 1950s, happened where women who had been working during the war because men were away were back in the house homemaking not necessarily because they wanted to it was a time of great change and for a lot of women I think great frustration and a lot of those women were also dealing with with returned soldiers who had shell shock so I thought right that's the setup for why these women in the early 50s on the Sunshine Coast started doing this it was to give themselves an outlet and they also wanted to help other people so that society fictionally has been <laughs> bubbling away since the 1950s. And then the first chapter of the book belongs to a character called Cynthia. Now, I first wrote a story for Cynthia quite a few years ago. I said it in Noosa. She lived in Little Cove. Her ex-husband was called Pat. Her daughter was called Odette. And she had a piano teacher called Vaughn. Those four characters are in Sunshine Gardening Society. I just didn't know what to do with her story at the time. And oh. I called it The Treehouse by the Water's Edge. And I just had no idea. So when I was thinking about this book, I was like, oh, maybe I could bring Cynthia into this one. And so I just brought all those characters over. And there's another character called Elizabeth who had her own story as well, separately that I tried to work up. And hers was called The Wildflower Garden. And she oh, was you know, a young widow as she is in this story. She had a young son as she does in this story. So when we meet her in the Sunshine Gardening Society, she's struggling in the wake of her husband's death and his garden was a project that because he was ailing for several months couldn't look after but she wants to restore it and maintain it in his memory so she is a, a target of the Sunshine Gardening Society or a client thereof uh, even though it's a voluntary organization and so Cynthia goes to work at Elizabeth's house with Cheryl and Barb who are two secondary characters who managed to muscle their way pretty much to the forefront who are in the Sunshine Gardening Society Cynthia's best friend, Lorraine, uh, who has two sons and a husband who's running a busy business and she's got a mother-in-law living in the house and she's just all over the place. But she and Cynthia were best friends in high school and then Cynthia took off for Los Angeles and has not long returned to the Noosa area and she's reconnected with Lorraine. Well, she wants to reconnect with Lorraine. So she suggests that they garden together. And then the last member to turn up is Kathy, who has moved from Melbourne and in the wake of a heartbreak and she's fruitless she's she just doesn't know what she wants to do with her life or where to go and I made it from Melbourne because when I was a kid going to Noosa Heads for holidays there were mostly Victorians <laughs> there which leads me to how I got the setup for um for Noosa in the 80s I was there I was going on holidays yeah, yeah, uh, epic. <laughs> 
And so I remember what it was like and and one of the editors queried the existence of the Ken Rosewell tennis courts, which I mentioned in there. She's like, I can't find them online. I said, well, I played on them. I know they're real. And in fact, there's a bookseller in um, Nooseville who told me that as a teenager, she worked at them. So, because I started to think, was I dreaming that? Because, you know, it's not on the internet, is it, is it real? No, no, they were definitely real. So they're not still there? They're not the ones that, they're not like they're, the ones? They're not still there. No, they're oh, now okay. the soft Okay, right. So, yeah. 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 So they're on the riverside. And so I remember all of that. I remember, you know, the old the ice cream shop and and the way it was back then. And uh it, it hasn't changed too much in terms of the levels of building because there's been some good work done to stop turning yeah. into high rise. And uh, that work was done by the Noosa Parks Association in conjunction with the council. And Noosa Parks Association was founded in 62. And I learned a lot about them researching this book. So when I decided to I wanted this story to be on the Sunshine Coast partly because I knew that at this when I'm looking ahead to when the book's going to be published I take a punt on well yeah you know, I didn't I didn't know but I take a punt on what I think people are going to need and I just knew that that pandemic was going to be lingering for a while there was still yeah. going to be a lot of heaviness and I wanted to write something in a location that was literally sunny and bright and so yeah. the Sunshine Coast was my choice and so I knew a bit about the environmental activism around the Sunshine Coast in that I knew Nancy Cato, the novelist, had been involved and there'd been a bit of work done, but I didn't know much. And I've read, read articles over the years, but didn't have a lot of detail. But I bought a book called Noosa's Native Plants. Actually, before I started planning Sunshine Gardening Society, I picked it up in a bookshop in um, Noosa and reading the foreword of that book mentioned some characters or figures who had been involved in uh, environmental activism and conservation uh, in around the Noosa Heads area. And so I found these books online, these out-of-print books where people had done lithographs and they'd uh, they'd done some drawings of local flora. And so there was clearly this dedicated group of people who just loved the area so much and loved the native flora of the area so much and native bushes and trees that they had, had self-published these things. And I I just bought them off eBay. So I now have this collection of books about the Sunshine Coast natural world, essentially. And so it suggested to me that, yeah, I, I had subconsciously, or maybe the characters did it to me, chosen exactly the right spot for this story uh, because I could combine those subsidiary characters, Sherl and Barb. Barb loves a, an, an ordered, aesthetically pleasing garden. Sherl is the environmental activist. And so Sheryl is definitely written in tribute to those people who did such great work on the Sunshine Coast and continue to do Parks Association is still around. Yeah, yeah, it's so great up there. Oh my gosh, I love this. And how nostalgic feel. Like I just could just imagine when you've got like clear visions of like such a good time, like going in and like write, writing that in a whole different world would have been so great. Like, yeah, I could always feel the sun on my skin playing on those tables because it was a really hot position <laughs> so on a warm day let's <laughs> see it's all coming back to me now. I remember going oh so hot playing tennis on these courts there was no breeze but you know it was some it was holidays it was yeah. that was always um it was always around Easter that uh I'd be there my brother and I would be put in the back of the car and driven north up the New England highway Oh my gosh, I love I'd that. Read in the back seat, he would stare out of the window and feel sorry for himself. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love that. And I also love um the so Cynthia had a was it a short story you had? 
No, it was just notes for a novel. So yeah, it was wow. really just, I thought there was a story there and I, I just wasn't sure what it was and I couldn't, I couldn't see how to make it bigger, I guess. Yeah. But now I just think she was waiting. She was yeah. just waiting for this yeah. to, to come along because I really did think when I was planning such a garden, so I was like, I had a whole group of people. I could just pick up and move here. They're already living at Little Cove. I knew Cynthia was living with a father. I just hadn't given, given him a name at that early stage. Yeah. It's like, okay, well, she's just been sitting there waiting. <laughs> like I Elizabeth is sitting there waiting for her garden story to be told. Is this kind of a thing? Do you just like randomly, like, do you kind of like you just randomly get a download of a character or something like that? And you've just got like a book or notes or something that you keep. And it's like, okay, cool. And now I can see where these are coming together for the next book that's happening. Is that kind of a common? Uh, no, this is the first one where I've actually done that, that process of going back to yeah. other things I've passed and just, uh, and, and feeling like there was something there. And I think it was only because they popped into my brain. I didn't actually go back to, all the notes I'd kept for various ideas and and go looking, but no. I just remember thinking, wait a second, I've got these these storylines somewhere, and then I had to go and find them, searching on my desktop, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> I love that. I love that so much. And everyone does need to get their hands on weekends with the Sunshine Gardening Society. I'm obsessed with your covers too, by the way. They are so all of them are so beautiful, and they look amazing when you see all of them all like all of them together so it's like oh wow they all kind of like fit I love it um but yes everyone needs to get their hands on that honestly just for a read to just I just loved I it was like go to read to jump in bed and just switch into another world like that it was just like perfect for me so I absolutely loved that thank you so much and it is very sunny and bright I did I did even though, even though there are some definitely deep concepts like spoken about in there it is it is very sunny and bright. So you've got your next one. Do you say you've got to hand that in tomorrow? I do. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, by the time this this is released, obviously tomorrow will be in the past. But yeah, um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. First draft in uh, tomorrow, and then then I wait for the notes, and then the crying starts, and. <laughs> and then uh then I start redrafting <laughs> so how does that process work for you now are you kind of like full deep writing stage you will wait for those notes to come in or are you thinking about the next book during that time or you kind of like that's your time off to wait essentially um I actually have another project that I've been writing for my own entertainment so yeah, nice. I will get to that uh, it's a completely different thing it's it's contemporary set a uh, very different story quite dark and that was just a, a thing. I had an idea and I thought, oh, let's see if this works. And um, so I'll probably go back to that just just because I miss it. I've, yeah. I've, I've decided a few months ago now. Like, oh, well, I'll do that. Then I'll always have country music things to do. Yeah. And what I'm just looking forward to getting back to is reading more because while I'm writing, I just don't have time to read as much. So I, the lull between drafts is like reading I've got a stack of books to get to so yeah nice your yeah. TVR's long I'm sure it's just kind of like mine stacks up as well <laughs> excellent now you have given us so much great advice um particularly get out of your own way if there is anything else that you want to leave the audience with today particularly if they're writing or currently working on something um what else what else little tidbit of advice would you pass on just start um because you can really think yourself into a hole of oh how am I going to get this going it's like you're not going to know unless you try and what is the worst thing that can happen yeah start maybe you'll write something that's no good we all do everyone who's been published has written things that are no good as I said Fair Valve is only yeah that had the most rewriting of any book I've done there are only three chapters left of that original manuscript in the finished product so 
everything I threw away was was no good. I used to keep hold of words that I deleted thinking I might use them again. No, no, they're gone. Nothing's <laughs> ever been reused. So we all go through cutting, deleting. You're never going to know unless you try. And uh, also just treat it as fun because it is fun. It's just you said, you know, when, when, you, when you have that feeling that it's working, it's great. Yeah. You know, it's really, it's it's one of the few experiences I find where the outside world's just not happening. When, you, when you're writing something and you're really in it and in that world, time passes. I have no idea what's going on. When I'm commuting, I obviously have to know because I've got to, you know, get off the ferry. But if I'm at home, I will lift my head and think, what time is it? Like, how, how old have I been here? And, then, and isn't that great that we can go into our imaginations for that amount of time and just indulge them, vanish inside them, be with these characters? So it's fun. I think it's easy to lose sight of that. I have to remind myself of it. It's uh, it's uh, to quote um, uh, some podcasters who have a podcast called Happier in Hollywood, um, Sarah Fain and oh my god, I've forgotten her name now. How that's that's terrible. Uh, Liz Craft, there we go. Liz Craft and Sarah Fain, who are screenwriters in Hollywood, they say it's a fun job and we enjoy it. Yeah. So remember that it's fun. So. Absolutely, absolutely. And to have that thing, like you said, that makes you forget about time, like whatever it is for anyone, I think that's the best thing in the world, isn't it? And if it's writing for you, then dive in. <laughs> if, you if you can't meditate, right. <laughs> pretty handy also fiction's great because you can take all sorts of revenge on people and they're never going to know <laughs> there's really no downsides to it <laughs> oh thank you so much for joining us sophie and um yes i'm i'm excited i'm excited for what's next and thank you so much for um for all that advice today thank you so much for your time olivia